Excellent. Well, good morning, everyone. We have two lovely ladies going to read our scripture today, Sydney and Megan. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into a fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Excellent. Thank you so much. Well done. All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Wonderful to see you this morning. Uh, My name is Josh. I'm the pastor of Young Adults. And today uh, is one of our family services. So if anyone here is in middle school and under, raise your hand. I want to see where you you all are. Okay. Excellent. Well, special welcome to you. I'm excited to be able to teach with you this morning. We're going to look at John chapter 15. And I will say in my own life, John 15 has been the most impactful passage in all of the Bible Let me, for, for my own life. Let me explain. When I was in middle school, I started to go to my, our youth retreats. And, uh, you know, just like youth, youth retreats, there are services, there's teaching. And I would look around at my friends and some of the older, maybe the upperclassmen, during the singing time, they would be really into it. They'd be raising their hands you know, praising the Lord. You can really tell that they loved Jesus by the way they were expressing themselves during the singing. Well, I have a personality that I can't change, and I'm just, like, that's just not me. You know, I, I look around, and I think, well, all these, my friends are praising God, and they're loving Jesus during the singing time, and I love to sing to Jesus, but I mean, maybe I was like one of these, you know? I, I, I just, I, I thought, do I not love Jesus? Because I'm not loving him in that specific way. Well, it wasn't until I understood what Jesus says in John 15, that the light came on. And it, like, the, like the, my relationship with Jesus just opened up to me where I was able to understand that loving Jesus is expressed in so many different ways in every part of life. 
So I'm so excited to be able to preach with you today, preach to you today on John 15. I love this passage. And before we get started, let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so good to us. You are so loving. Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus, who you sent to live a perfect life, die on the cross for our sins, raise again to new life so that we can have new life and produce fruit in our life. Lord, as we look at John chapter 15, would you give us uh, spiritual eyes to see and ears to hear so that what your son spoke to the disciples 2,000 years ago will hit us with that same freshness this morning, and only you can do that in our hearts. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and turn to John 15, but let me set the stage for us. John 15 is, John 14, 15, 16, 17, is a passage of scripture where it's Jesus' magnum opus. It's his primary final teaching to his disciples. See, after this passage, Jesus goes to be illegally arrested and crucified. So the disciples and Jesus had just finished the Lord, uh, the Last Supper, you might know it from the paintings, and they have left the place that they eat, and they're walking through the streets of Jerusalem on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And you can imagine, as Jesus and the, and the 11, now, disciples, are walking through the streets, you would see vines, maybe a small vineyard, maybe a family vineyard, where there's a big, old, gnarly grapevine with branches coming off of it. And these are vines that you would harvest the grapes and maybe eat them, eat them as fruit or make wine with them. And as Jesus is walking to the place he would be arrested in order to be crucified, this is what he teaches his disciples, starting in verse 1 of chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes in order that it may bear more fruit. So here Jesus sets up an, a picture, an, an illustration, an image for us. Where he says, God, his father, the father, he's like a caretaker of a vineyard. And Jesus Christ is a vine in that vineyard. And followers of Jesus are branches in that vine. And he says that the branches are there in order to produce fruit. Now, what is this fruit that Jesus is talking about? Well, we, we all, every one of us, want to experience fruit in our lives. We want to have a fruitful life. And what Jesus is saying is there's, there's fruit that he wants to bear in us, whether that's spiritual fruit, Fruit like the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, and self-control. Those things that start from the inside, but pour out into our relationships. And there are also situational fruit. And it's okay to want these. It's okay to want a healthy family. It's okay to want a, a good career, a nice place to live, um, meaningful relationships, maybe a significant other. And scripture says that the branches are there so that God can produce fruit in us. Now, it's interesting that what Jesus says um, is, I think, 
especially prescient to our lives. See, Jesus says that those branches that bear fruit, he prunes. See, I know some of us here maybe feel like, hey, I, I, you know, I, I love Jesus. I, I follow Jesus, but I feel like there's no fruit in my life. Maybe in the time past there's fruit, but now I just feel like my, my life is barren of fruit. Well, as if you're a Christian, you can rest assured in this, that if bad situations happen in your life, it's the result of one, or two, one of two things. Either you're in sin and, and God is disciplining you. And if you're in sin, you're in known sin, you need to turn from that sin, repent of your sin, and follow Christ again. But the other option is that he's pruning you. Maybe you are trusting in Jesus and you love Jesus and you have producing fruit. Maybe you're in a season of life where God the Father is snipping off some little branches so that the next season in your life, you can produce even greater fruit. Well, now that the analogy is set, let's look at these next two verses where Jesus kind of fills in what this image is. Starting in verse three. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So here Jesus gives us a command to abide in him like a branch abides in the vine. I don't know about you, but I don't really use the word abide very often, right? It's not part of my normal vocabulary. What does that word mean? Well, it means to remain in, to be attached to, to be a part of, to dwell within. And as we are supposed to be branches that remain in the vine. Still, it doesn't clarify a lot of stuff for us. Well, let's look at the image. The image that Jesus gives us gives us better understanding of what abiding in Christ means. I mean, think about it. We've all been, well, you've probably been apple picking, right? We don't have a lot of grapevines in Northeast Ohio, but we have a lot of apple trees. And you know what a, a, an apple tree does, right? So you've got the trunk, and the trunk doesn't produce fruit, but it's the branches. And in order for a branch to produce an apple, that branch has to be like stuck into that trunk, tree trunk. And all the nourishment, and all the nutrients and all the water that goes to the branch to ultimately produce fruit comes by, by that branch being really linked into the trunk of that tree. And if you're a kid, if you remember um, you know, climbing trees, and you pro- probably many of us have that first stitches story, right? You climb the tree, and that branch you thought was solid broke. You come tumbling down. You've got that you know, scar on your forehead for the rest of your life. What Jesus is saying, in order for that branch to have life and vitality, it has to pull all of that from the vine. That's the same in it with our lives. In order to abide in Jesus, we must pull everything that nourishes our soul from Jesus. Jesus must be the source of all our spiritual nourishment. All of the growth and support and protection in our life should ultimately come from Jesus. And Jesus must be the anchor of your soul. So when the, you know, the, the storms of life come blowing through, you hang on to that vine 
which is Jesus. You see, a branch is simply a conduit for the vine. The branch's job, the branch's job is not to get water, it's not to get nutrients, it's not even to produce fruit. The branch's job is simply to stay attached to the vine and draw its nutrients from the vine. That's what abiding in Christ means. You see, in our culture, you know, we have a very performance-based culture, uh, a very achievement-oriented culture. And I think even in, as, as Christians in the church, we look at people, and we look at them, and we put them in two categories, the gifted people and then the rest of us, right? The people who have a lot of resources, a lot of charisma, really smart, very attractive, very disciplined, and then, right, the the, the rest of us. See, often we look at those disciplined people and think, oh, they're the ones that produce fruit. They're the ones that achieve in their careers. They're the ones that lead these ministries. You know, they're, they're leading eight life groups. They have, you know, four kids. They look like they're little baby models. You know, everything. They got this nice house, nice career. Everyone smiles. And we're over here thinking, yeah, they're producing fruit. But I don't have those resources, right? Like, like, my house is not always clean. My kids are not, like, perfect straight, you know, they're not on, like, a postcard or, like, a stock photo, right? Like, I clean my, you know, I clean my living room with a shovel, right? It's, it's it, my life is a little bit like a wreck. And I think often the rest of us look at those really driven people. We begin to feel guilty that we're not doing more or we're not doing better. And we begin to, begin to feel discontent with our kids, in our house, in our spouse, in our friends. But see, I've known a lot of these really disciplined people, these fruit producers, and often their life is racked with anxiety, with secret sin, with depression. And then the rest of us feel guilty, feel condemned, feel ashamed. You see, what Jesus is saying is in order to bear fruit in your life and in my life, it's not do more, work harder, be super person, and nor is it feel guilty that you're not doing more. See, Jesus offers us a third way. Verse five, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. What Jesus is offering me and offering you is not try hard, do more, you better turn your life around, you better make make it happen. Rather, he's saying, you got one job, you got one task, it's to abide in Christ's love. I mean, just think about those beautiful images Jesus gives us. The branch can do nothing to produce fruit. The fruit production is not based on the branch. It's based on the trunk and the vine. And the only thing that the branch can do is abide in the vine. And once the branch is abiding in the vine, God takes care of the fruit. You see, 
the goal of the Christian life is to abide in Jesus' love. And Jesus takes care of the fruit. Because you can't control what your children do. <laughs> right? Everyone's like, yeah, that's right. You can't even control how much fruit, you can't control how much fruit you produce. You know why? Because Jesus just told us you could be doing everything to abide in the vine. You may be in a season of pruning. As Christians, we are just to draw everything out from our soul, everything that nourishes our soul from the vine, and God takes care of the fruit. What that does is it turns our culture on what they think is good living on its head. No longer is the accumulation of physical things or of relational things the ultimate. Rather, it's abiding in Jesus, and he determines what kind of fruit and the amount of fruit that's produced. All right, well, what does this look like in our lives? What does it look like in our day-to-day world? Students, what feeds your soul should not be perfect test scores, but doing your schoolwork as if Jesus himself was teaching your course. Do all things for the glory of God. If you're an employee, your focus should not be getting recognized for your work, but simply doing the best work you can, because God sees it. If you're a mother, your desire should not be what others think about you or your family, but rather having a home where the children are loved and the children knows that God loves them. And what God does with that once they're out of the home is up to God. As a single person, you should not focus on finding the one. Rather, you should focus on being more like Jesus. And as a spouse, your focus should not be on fixing your spouse, but rather on allowing Jesus to fix you. See, starting in verse 7, Jesus gives us a, a formula I know all you students are like, oh, please, <laughs> no math. It's a good formula. It's a formula for joy. And it gives us a formula starting in verse 7. Jesus says this, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So what Jesus does, he gives us a formula for joy, for fruit. It says, abide in Jesus plus Jesus' words abide in you equals ask for what, him for whatever you want. Like, well, that's a pretty good formula. <laughs> I got a list. Okay, what I got, like a new house, a new car. Well, see, if you look at that at the end, ask whatever you want. If those two things are there, abiding in Jesus and Jesus' words abiding in you, What you want, the deepest desires of your soul will ultimately be that God will have glory. What does it mean for God to have glory? That just basically means showing off God, just showing God, pointing to God for who he really is. You see, verse 8 says, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You see, your deepest desire, 
once you abide in Jesus, Jesus' words abide in you, will be for God's glory. But how is God glorified? By you producing fruit. You see, God is for you. He, he is on your side. He's in your corner. He wants you to produce fruit in your life. See, God is not a referee, right, with a whistle ready to be blown. Right? He's not a coach who is waiting for you to make a mistake to pull you out of the game. No, he is a father cheering you on because when you do well, he is glorified. Kids, you know why your parents love to go to your games? It's not because, like, the, you know, the, old, the perfect soccer game will be performed, right, in that field. No, because they love to see you. They love to see you enjoy yourself, and they get so excited when you do well. Whether you score a goal, you play good defense, or you're kind to your teammates, God is glorified when his children produce fruit. See, in order for this to happen, Jesus says, his words must abide in us. What that means is that every one of our lives needs to be marked by scripture and by prayer. Let me, uh, let me share with you a little frustration I have as a pastor. Um, so, I mean, if you've been in church for any length of time, you know, like, you should read your Bible and you should pray. I mean, we're, we're all about that here at CBC. Sometimes I'll talk to young adults or really anybody, and they say, you know, I just don't have time in my schedule. And I just want to, like, take my head and, like, smash it against the wall. Like, like, I did some research this week, and I couldn't believe this stat. I was blown away. I did, and I double-checked it. According to the survey... We spend 4.7 hours on our phones a day. I was like, oh my God. I was ready for like fire and brimstone to come like raining down on like our culture. Like 4.7 hours a day. Like you realize, you know, there's a Bible in your phone. Like you can click on it and the Bible will come up. And all, you know, like... So, so when someone tells me, you know, Josh, I just don't have time to read the Bible and to pray, what you're really saying is, it's just not a big priority in my life. And what I would encourage you, because I know what's true in my life, that only leads to a withered soul. Just like a branch that's pulled away from a vine, begins to wither, the leaves start to get a little dry, a little brown, that's what happens to your soul. If you don't spend the time in, in Scripture and in prayer. We have a Bible reading plan. And actually, Pastor Chad did a lot of work for next year's Bible reading plan. It's fantastic. And I encourage you all to take part in that. I have a buddy um, who, he's crazy. He does ultra marathons. Like, he just ran a 100K. That's a, I don't know how many miles. That's a lot of Ks, you know, a lot of... <laughs> He just read 100K through the mountains in Virginia. And what he would tell me, they have these things called aid stations throughout the, the course. And every aid station, there's, there's, there's water and there's Gatorade. And there's also like food with a lot of carbs and a lot of salt in order to replenish the body. And he says one of the most important things he does in that whole race is make sure he spends enough time in the aid station. Make sure, make sure he gets enough water. And not just water, make sure he eats enough. 
Make sure he eats this like goo, this runner goo. If he doesn't spend enough time at the aid station, he will peter out and he won't be able to finish. He said, if someone tried to run this race, this ultra marathon, without eating and without spending that 10 minutes of wasted time sitting at the aid station, he said, they would dehydrate. They would die. Look, you are in a spiritual ultra marathon. And if you don't spend that time at the aid station, in your Bible and in prayer, your soul will shriver and you will be laying in the course and someone's gonna have to come pick you up down the road. So I encourage you, just as a friend, the best thing you could do for to nourish your soul, to abide in the vine, spend time in scripture and in prayer. All right, so abide in Jesus. I still feel like it's a little fuzzy, right? It's a, still like, what, what does this abide in Jesus mean? Well, Jesus gives us more explanation. Verse nine, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So what Jesus is saying is if you look at abide in Christ and you double click on that, what comes up is that abiding in Christ is done by keeping the commandments found in scripture. This is basically the gist of Pastor Joe's message two weeks ago. Abiding in Christ is keeping the commandments found in scripture. Wait a minute, Josh. I thought you said God was not a referee ready to blow his whistle. There's a lot of commandments, and I feel like this is pulling us away from loving Jesus. Well, if you double-click on keep the commandments, you see Jesus again explains what keeping the commandments means in verse 12. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Elsewhere in the Bible, a, a, a ruler, a, a scribe, a religious leader says, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? Jesus says, well, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he cut him off. He said, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We love God by loving other people. You are loving God by treating that, you know, that annoying student in your second period cl- class with kindness where everyone else treats them with unkindness. You love God by being patient with that coworker who doesn't quite get it. You love God by serving those who are in need. You see, when I was in middle school and high school, I'd see everyone praising God and lifting their hands in worship. And I'm like, I, I, don't really, that's not my, I don't really do that. I love to sing to Christ, but I'm not, that's just not my personality. But when I felt the love of God most clearly in my life was when I turned the other cheek, when I went the extra mile, when I loved someone in a way that Christ has loved me. 
See, Jesus does not need us. He doesn't need us to love other people, but he invites us in to that beautiful event when someone comes in the name of Jesus and loves someone, even when they don't want to be loved, who gives someone to, something to someone, even when they're resistant. Isn't that how love happens? Isn't the most important, clear picture in our human expression of what love is, is that relationship between the child and the parent? I got a little one-year-old son, Judah. Sometimes he doesn't want to eat food. What do we do? We make him eat food. Why? Because he needs it. He fights us and he wiggles. And no, you got to eat food because I know what's best for him. And that's what Jesus invites us into, to care for people who may even be resistant. If someone doesn't know Jesus, they're not going to be like, oh, I'm a sinner and need salvation? Sounds great. You have to to care for them and love others as Jesus loved you. So what does Jesus share all this for? Why is this the second to the last thing he tells his disciples before he's crucified? Right, like this is a big deal. These are the last words before Jesus is is crucified and raised again. So why did he share that? This is the best part, verse 11. And these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus has done all this. He's given us the commandments so that we can have full and complete joy. Once we understand what Jesus is offering us, Joy just pours forth from our heart like a car who just ran over a fire hydrant. There's just joy. That's what Jesus is offering. He's told us this so that we can have joy. He's not a miserly, you know, Ebenezer Scrooge who's, you know, give you a little lump, extra lump of coal for your... No, he wants you to have joy. Isn't that what we're all looking for? Right? When, when we buy those things we shouldn't, aren't we looking for joy? When we get into a romantic relationship, we know God says us not to be in. Aren't we looking for joy? Like when we protect our family to the point of trying to keep them away from anything bad out there, aren't we just, don't we just want their joy? What Jesus says is, if you love me and you abide in me, you won't even be able to handle the amount of joy that's going to come your way. Now, every one of us goes through a season of pruning. And it's, I've been there. And every one of us has been a season where we feel a little dry. We feel a little withered. And that's okay, too. Because the vine is there, and he, he longs for us to come back into his loving embrace. See, in a little bit, we are going to celebrate communion. Communion is the time where we eat a little piece of bread, drink a little juice, to remember what Jesus has done for us. And in a moment, I'm going to pray, 
and the ushers are going to pass out the elements. And for you families in here, this is a special time for you to explain to your children what communion is all about and what Jesus has done for them. And if they, and, and I will leave it up to the parents, you don't think they're quite ready, that's up to you. But before we go into that, I want to invite those of you here that have never put their faith and trust in Jesus to do so today. See, the Bible teaches us that we, none of us were born as branches into the vine of Jesus. We were all branches in a bitter vine, a vine that only produced poisonous fruit. But the vine dresser, in his kindness, came. He cut us from that poisonous vine. It went over to his vine, his sweet and good vine, and he pierced it, and he marred it, and he wounded, wounded it so that he could graft us in to his vine so that we, instead of producing bitter, bitter fruit, can produce sweet fruit, fruit that lasts in this life and in the life to come. If you feel like your life just produces bitter fruit, you need to put your trust in Jesus. You need to repent of your sins and say, Jesus, I want to love you. I want to be a part of your vine. Save me, help me. And if you do that in your heart, for the first time, I want to invite you to take communion truly for the first time today. Maybe you've taken communion many times, but you were never truly part of the vine. Today, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus for the first time, I invite you to take true communion for the first time. Let me pray. Oh God, you are so good. Well, you didn't need us, but you wanted us and you love us. We thank you that you're willing to pierce your son, to mar him so that we could become part of your vine and produce fruit that leads to joy. Lord, your son is so good to us. Thank you that he bears with us. He doesn't just kick us out of the vine, but he loves us. Lord, may we love him in return. And may we love others the way you have loved us. Thank you for your son whose body is broken for us, whose blood is shed for us. Praise Jesus' name, amen.